Now we got it. So Nahum chapter 3. And um, reminder, this is a prophecy about Nineveh. Very important that we understand that. And while there probably are some things that we can see in here that, you know, have some uh, shadow applications for things in the future, primarily what we are looking at here is a very specific prophecy that has been fulfilled. Nineveh got what was coming to them. Nineveh was destroyed. God gave them over 120 years uh, from the time destruction was originally pronounced on them because they repented. And everyone who would have been alive during the time of Jonah would have died by the time this prophecy uh, actually would get fulfilled. But now, during Nahum's day, there's no turning back. There's uh, no more chance for repentance. They're going to get it. And notice what it says in the first chapter, or the first verse of chapter 3. It says, Woe to the bloody city. It is full of lies and robbery. The prey departeth not. And one thing that we see in the Bible that God would always get mad about or something that would always get God's attention, but not in a good way, and that is the shedding of blood. God notices the shedding of blood. We see in Genesis 4, the first time man's blood is shed, it says in chapter 4, verse 9, And the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. So God noticed. He says, the, I mean, blood has been shed. It's crying to me because when innocent lives are taken, justice needs to be done. That is a big deal. God loves life. Jesus came so people could have eternal life. And so when man goes and cuts the life of people short, that's a very serious thing. And uh, and that's why, too, it comes with the ultimate penalty that man can put on somebody. You know, you shed somebody's blood, your blood should be shed by man. You've got a lot of people today, they act like, well, it's so bad to shed blood, we shouldn't even have the death penalty. No, we have the death penalty because it is so bad to shed blood. So you've got to have an extreme price tag on it. You know, you don't just go put, lock them up in a prison where they've got all these rights and benefits and health care and three square meals a day and all this stuff. no. You got to do what God said to do because it is, it's a very, it's a very serious thing. Another thing that would always get God's attention, especially against the nation is when they mistreated people. If, when they took advantage of the poor and needy, we are supposed, there are things we're supposed to do to help people who are struggling and going through difficulties. Now, I know in our country, because we have a messed up welfare system, you know, we almost kind of frown on this kind of thing. But understand, our, uh, our, the problem we have in our country is, you know, we don't teach a man to fish. You know, we just tax the guy who's fishing so we can, you know, provide for the people who are too lazy to fish. And obviously, that's not what, you know, we're supposed to do. But we know what we're not supposed to do. We're not supposed to oppress the poor. We're not supposed to take advantage of people. We're not supposed to steal. We're not supposed to do those kind of things. And those are mentioned all the time throughout the Bible. We're not even going to go to all the references. When you look at um, in Jeremiah, places like that, when it's going after Israel and for all the judgment, all the judgment that's come for them, one of the big things is you know the way they treated people. They were you know they were oppressors of the poor. And Jesus even said too on the day of his visitation when he showed up at the triumphal entry, 
you know, he said, you know, you've turned this place into a den of thieves. And that was a really big deal. And God wanted to make sure they had learned their lessons from those things. But understand, nations that take advantage of people, um, God does not smile on that at all. It gets his attention and in a very negative way. And so when we think about that, it should kind of scare us for our country a little bit because our country does shed a lot of blood. Uh, We have taken advantage of a lot of people and, you know, eventually we're going to get it. Today we're not suffering. So, you know, we thank God for mercy, try to get some people saved, uh, try to call some people to repentance. Hopefully this thing can get spared uh, or delayed. But but either way, we're going to get nailed eventually. We might as well just accept that. So verse 2 says, The noise of a whip and the noise of the rattling of the wheels and of the prancing horses and of the jumping chariots. The horseman lifteth up both the bright sword and the glittering spear. And there is a multitude of slain and a great number of carcasses. And there is none end of their corpses. They stumble upon their corpses. And this is just a very dark, scary picture right here of just bodies laying everywhere. And you know why? What we're seeing here is payback for shed blood is always brutal. That's the thing. When God was going to punish these nations, you know, he always wanted to make sure everyone knew that it was him doing these things, that they knew what they were getting. That's another thing, a reason too, or another thing to keep in mind whenever people are looking at, uh, you know, events in the world and wondering if it's the wrath of God. You know, when things are the wrath of God, you never have to ask, is this the wrath of God? If you have to ask, it probably isn't. So uh, just, you know, keep that in mind. That's why, too, you know, in Revelation, we, you know, it's, I think it's real easy to tell the difference between tribulation and God's wrath. Because when you look at all the things that we would describe as tribulation, like in the seals, it's all stuff that we've seen throughout history. These things have always been around. But when you get into after they say the great day of his wrath has come, and then you start looking at the trumpets and the vials, you're like, yeah, that's God's wrath. Because this stuff's not normal. This stuff, and it does, it, a lot of times it seems pretty extreme. That's the thing, another thing, too, about God's holiness that, and about God's justice. These are very difficult things for us to get a hold of. We just need to believe them because of the fact that we are sinful. So holiness is not something that we're really capable of fully understanding. And because we're not capable, you know, fully capable of understanding the holiness of God, we aren't going to always understand the wrath of God. Because when you look at God's wrath, sometimes it seems a bit excessive. I mean, don't you think? I mean, I mean, isn't it a little bit excessive? Does it, do you ever think this way, that like eternity in hell, really? Lifetime, even if it's a lifetime of bad, eternity in hell? In our minds, that seems a bit excessive. But you know what? I'm not holy, so I can't fully understand God's wrath. But I also, because I'm not holy too, and I can't fully understand his wrath, I also can't fully comprehend his mercy. So, you know, what we're supposed to do is not figure out how we can comprehend the mercy of God and the wrath of God. You know what we're supposed to do? We're just supposed to believe it. And so I believe that God loves sinners, that he wants to save and that he will save. And I also believe that if we don't get saved, that he will send us to hell for all eternity. Why do you believe that? Because that, you know, 
everything balances out in your mind? No, I believe it because God says it. And that's why the Bible says too, you know, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, not understand the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. I'm glad it doesn't say we have to understand because I can't fully understand all these things, but I do believe it. And when we see stories like this too in the Bible, where you see God, you know, letting his wrath kind of come on nations, you know, and you see how extreme and, you know, even if it seems excessive, just understand that, you know, God does all things well. God does things just. So when these countries, when nations like Nineveh are literally just a sea of corpses, you know what? That, that was just. So if we just remember, if we see, when we see bad things going on in this country, and we're seeing more and more bad things, we're hearing more and more bad stories, and just, uh, you know, you know the, the visuals of some of the things. You know, I remember I mistakenly watched the uh, video of one of the shootings, the one that was at the grocery store, and it was just, I mean, it's brutal watching that stuff. And you see those things, and you think, you know, Lord, how can you let this happen? But then when you start thinking about our country, it's like, you know what? I'm surprised it's not happening a lot more. And it is. It's hard to see these things, and it should be hard to see these things. But either way, we just need to understand that, you know, when you live in a country like ours that has as much wickedness as it has, we're going to see bad stuff. God's going to let bad people kind of have their way. And it's, it's going to grow. Until our country starts getting some things right, repenting, we're going to see more bad stuff like that happen. And it's not good. We don't need to, we don't need to rejoice in it. You know, but we need to, when God allows judgment to come, we need to accept it. And I've illustrated it this way before. You know, when, you know, when a child is being punished, okay, uh, you, know, you, you, know, I, you don't expect them as a parent to rejoice that they're getting spanked, right? But you do expect them, if they understand that they did wrong, to at least accept the punishment. You know, and they don't have to like, you don't even care if they cry a little bit. But, you know, at least accept the punishment. And, you know, whenever bad things happen in this country, even if we deserve it, we don't have to be like, yeah, that's what we get. No, you know, we should, it's okay to shed a tear. It's okay, you know, and, and let it, but let it grieve us that we've let our country get this wicked and that these terrible things are happening and that people are suffering. The thing that we just don't want to do is get mad at God. We don't want to act like God has done something wrong because God hasn't done anything wrong. We've just done a lot of wickedness. And so verse 4 says, Because of the multitude of the whoredoms of the well-favored harlot, the mistress of witchcrafts that selleth nations through her whoredoms and families through her witchcrafts. So right here when you read this passage about whoredoms and witchcrafts and all these things, it's real easy to kind of tie, want to tie this to, you know, the whore of Babylon and Revelation and kind of make end time stuff out of it. And again, while there's similarities because nations often make a lot of the same mistakes, we don't ever want to ignore the fact that this is not, this is talking specifically about Nineveh, okay? Not even Babylon, okay? Babylon is actually the one that was going to come and wipe the Assyrians out. So there's been more than one, you know, harlot. There's been more than one whore throughout history. And Assyria was definitely one of these things. And so this nation is not the great harlot or the mother of harlots that we see in Revelation, but it is a harlot nation. Now, the question is, what makes a nation a harlot nation? 
Because a, a harlot is, some, is someone that is, they're paid by wicked men that, that you know, there's someone that they can just use for their own selfish desires. And so while harlots are often used by men, they're never loved by men. Okay? They, they don't love them. And the same thing goes for a harlot nation. Okay? Other wicked nations will often give that nation what they want for their own selfish desires. They'll make alliances with them. They'll make trade deals with them. They'll, you know, they'll do all these things with these nations because they've got their own selfish desires. They're looking out for themselves. But at the end of the day, there's no love for those nations. Often, too, there's hatred and contempt, just like no one respects a harlot. And I think that's an interesting thing about our country, too. I definitely think we're one of those nations because our nation, one, we have a lot of wealth. The people, and we're, we're real good at like, handing it out. You know, look at all the money we're giving to Ukraine and stuff like that. You know, we've got a lot of military power, which causes us to have a lot of political power and political influence and stuff. And so we are used all the time by other nations who do not like us. I mean, think about the nation of Israel and how much they use our nation. And, you know, we all we always back up anything they do, no matter how wicked. And, you know, and so Israel... You know, Netanyahu and people like him, you know, they'll say all these great things about America and they'll be real positive towards us. You know why? Because they're using us to get what they want. But you know what? Once they get what they want, they'll discard us just like that. And we see in the Bible, that's what they're going to do. That's what the Antichrist is going to do with Babylon. Once he has his way, once he gets what he wants, you know what? Babylon's going to be destroyed. And it's... And that's how people treat harlots. And so Assyria was another nation that was like that. They were one that would they because they were strong. They had the power. They had the wealth. They had all these things going for them. So other nations would be friendly towards them. Other nations would be flattering towards them, make deals with them, give them things that they wanted. But at the end of the day, whenever once they kind of lost that protection from God, and a more powerful enemy is ready to come on them, were they going to get any help from other nations? Nope. I mean, what do you think Ukraine's going to do if we're ever getting attacked by the Russians? Nothing. I mean, they'll make some speeches. You know, they'll wear a patch that says, I stand with the United States or something like that. But at the end of the day, what are they really going to do for us? Nothing. All these nations that we're always helping and sending money to, they're not going to do anything for us. You know why? Because there's no love for us. We are just being used like a harlot. That's, and nations have been like that throughout history. And so it says in verse 5, Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will discover thy skirts upon thy face, and I will show the nations thy nakedness and the kingdoms thy shame. And so a harlot, they may dress themselves in, you know, in a way that's flattering to them. And a nation may often give off the appearance of having strength and prosperity. But you know what? God will eventually show everyone what they really are. And they will. They'll be, they'll end up being ashamed. But, you know, nations often, they do, they do certain things to make them appear like they're better off than they are. That's what happened over in Sri Lanka. You know, they were doing all this artificial stuff to make it look like everything's okay. 
But then eventually, that can only last for so long, and then everything just collapsed, and then now they're just kind of a laughing stock, and everything's a total mess. And it's the same thing going on in our country right now. Right now, they are doing so many things to make it appear like we're having some kind of recovery. But in the meantime, you know, Biden's, you know, emptying the oil reserves, you know, he's selling things to China. He's doing all these things right now to make things artificially appear better. That way, people won't be like, man, our country's in a bad position when they go to the election polls in a couple months. But, you know, eventually, and the shame of our nakedness of this country is going to appear. And we've got a country that's full of wicked people. We've got a country that's full of welfare class type people. And one of these days, too, said so the supply line's going to get cut off. I mean, you know, the, everything is going to come to a head. You know, the grid's going to go down or something. And we're going to find out what this country's made out of. You know what we're made out of? We're made out of marshmallows. And the, it, it's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. I mean, what do you think is going to happen in these cities, you know, if the grid goes down or something like that? They will be killing each other so fast, it's not even funny. You know, and thankfully out here, rural country, we got a lot of rednecks, got a lot of firearms and things like that. I think we'll be, you know, most of us will be relatively safe uh, out here to, to a certain extent. But, you know, at the same time, they're shipping more and more city-type people out here, you know, they're the ones stealing all our catalytic converters and, you know, doing all the crime out here. And, you know, you, you ought to pay attention to, you know, whenever you see stories about crime and stuff out here, you know who it usually is? Somebody from Chicago. Isn't, isn't that interesting? You know, so uh, don't get me going on that. But I, I'm, I just say all this to say our country is, you know, we're, we, we give off a perception that we look better than we are. But one of these days... The shame of our nakedness is going to be seen. We're going to, it'll, you know, it, we're going to reveal what we really are, and it's not going to be pretty. And while our politicians brag and talk a good game all the time, everybody's going to figure out that eventually it's not how it is. And that's what God does when he brings judgment. He makes it clear how they really are. We see in, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 15, says, Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beasts are of sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing. They are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. So God's not impressed with America. God's not looking at our nation and thinking, oh man, how am I going to take care of that country? They've got nukes. Listen, God's not worried about that. God's not worried about our technology and our prosperity God can defeat those things and he will. And we're going to look at, and then one of these days we're going to look, we're going to see just how vulnerable we were, just how weak we were. And that it was the blessing of God that kept us or that got us to where we were. And he's going to take that away. We see one of these days when God judges Satan, God is going to show Satan for what he really is. And Isaiah 14 verse 15 talking about Lucifer says, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit they that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners? So one of these days, people, are gonna, when they see him, they're like, this is the guy? This is the one that we let keep us out of the will of God? This is the one that got nations to fall? 
And what is he, what is he compared to Jesus Christ? And you know what? He's nothing. He's, he's absolutely nothing. Now, we think he's something today. But God, one of these days, is going to reveal everything. And once we've seen Christ, I think if we all saw Satan right now, we'd actually be pretty impressed. We'd be like, wow. We'd probably be pretty intimidated. But when we have our, but the thing is, we're going to see Christ first. So once we've seen Christ, and then we see Satan, we're going to be like, this is nothing. I remember the first time I went out west, we were going to see mountains. We were all excited. I remember we got into New Mexico, and we saw this big cliff, and we thought it was the coolest thing. And I remember we got out, we're taking pictures of it, getting our picture with it behind us and everything. And then we got driving farther west. We got into Colorado and stuff. And then, you know, we start seeing real mountains. And I remember later, after we went and got our pictures developed, we looked at some of those first pictures we took, and we were like, why do we even take pictures of this? This was really lame. But when you're from Illinois, you know, a cliff that's a couple hundred feet, that's pretty cool. But then, you know, but once you've seen the Rocky Mountains, you're just like, yeah, that's nothing. And so, yeah, we right now would be probably impressed if we saw Satan. But once we've seen Jesus, Satan's going to be nothing. So, just a good way to compare. And you know what? I hope the devil hears me say stuff like that. Because it is. It's just true and he needs to be reminded of it. So verse 6 says, And I will cast abominable filth upon thee and make thee vile and will set thee as a gazing stock. And so anything that gets put before God or in the place of God will be exposed eventually for what it really is. And so while Assyria or Nineveh was this powerful country that people are amazed by, God's like, I'm going to make you a gazing stock. I'm going to make you abominable filth. People are going to look at you and they're going to want to look away. And again, we talked about this last week. After Nineveh got destroyed, it got destroyed so bad and it was never rebuilt. It didn't even get discovered until 1850 because people just walked away from it, forgot about it. It was destroyed that much. So verse 7, And it shall come to pass that all that look upon thee shall flee from thee and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? When shall I seek comforters for thee? And this is hard for us to understand too because we haven't seen the city of Nineveh but when you have this great city that's got the impressive walls and got all, you know, all this prosperity and things to think that everyone's just going to flee away from that city and not be drawn to it anymore. I mean, that was a big prophecy. That was a big claim, but that is exactly what happened. So no one can, again and again, no one. She says, when shall I seek comforts for thee? No one cares for a harlot when she needs help. No, nobody does. You often hear too about you know these kidnappings and things that nobody cares about and a lot of times it is it's it's harlots it's prostitutes and or they get murdered somewhere it doesn't make the news okay you know it's always it's always the young girl middle class you know pretty middle class girl that makes news you know the remember natalie holloway that they talked about greta van susteren talked about her for like three years or something you know just always talked about her because, you know, she was, you know, young, pretty, you know, middle, upper class girl. But you know what? What happened to her happens to prostitutes all the time. Not in the news. You know why? People don't really care. You know, and that's, uh, that's not really right, but it's just the way it is. And again, no one cares about these nations when they fall. And we, 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 we think we are everything in America because we have other nations flattering us because they want something from us. But if we ever do, if we ever get defeated and get destroyed, you know what? Those countries will move on. Okay, nothing we need from there anymore. So now, you know, we're going to go 
make friends you know, with people who were enemies of America. Because now they have what we want. And that's just that's the way it is. So don't think that, you know, whenever you hear them talking about our allies and saying that our country should do crazy stuff and just give away money because these people are our allies, don't fall for that. Okay? They're saying all that just to try to justify what they're doing. Our allies don't care about us. Okay? England doesn't really care about us. They're still mad at us for 1776. Okay? You know, and same thing, too. Israel does not really care about us. They just like our money. But if we don't have any money, they're not going to care about us anymore. So, verse 8. Art thou better than populous? No. That was situate among the rivers, that had waters round about it, whose rampart was the sea, and her wall was from the sea. Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength, and it was infinite. Put and Lovam were thy helpers. Yet was she carried away, she went into captivity. Her young children also were dashed in pieces at the top of all the streets. And they cast lots for her honorable men, and all her great men were bound in chains. And he's basically saying, just like these other cities were defeated by the Babylonians, just like they were destroyed, just like their children were dashed in pieces, it's going to happen to you too. Like, do you really think you're better at being these other cities? And again, it's hard for us to compare these things. We don't know what those cities were exactly like during that time and how their walls were and what kind of defenses and things they had. But he's just basically telling them, just like they defeated those cities, you're no better than them. They're going to get you too. And so he's just, uh, in case any of you, when you hear this prophecy, you know, are going to think, uh, we can handle this. No, you can't. You're going to get nailed. And this is, this is a doom and gloom prophecy. That it's not meant to get them to repent. It's meant to scare them. I think where the positive message is in this prophecy is to Israel. Because Nineveh was their enemies and God's letting them know, I'm going to deal with your enemies. So there is a, a positive side to this. But like we talked about in the first week, not for Nineveh, for Israel. So, uh, so we, uh, we've seen this phrase too about dashing uh, children in pieces. It's been used a couple times in this book. And I believe this is a reference to the cruelty of the Babylonians that were going to defeat them. Like they're going to kill your children. They are, going to, they are going to dash them to pieces. Look what it says in Psalms 137. Now, this is later when this psalm was written, but this was a psalm that was written after Judah was taken captive. So this is, something, this is an event that happens after the time of Nahum, and they, went, and they were brutal to Israel. Just like the Babylonians, were, they were brutal to everybody. They were also brutal to or Judah. Israel, so... If we want to get technical, Israel, the northern kingdom, they had gotten taken captive years before by the Assyrians. Okay? Now, the Babylonians are defeating the Assyrians. And while the Assyrians never defeated Judah, the southern kingdom, the Babylonians did. And, that, and the southern kingdom is where the temple was. And they were. They were very brutal. Many died. And it says in Psalm 137, 8, O daughter of Babylon, who art to be destroyed, happy shall he be that rewardeth thee as thou hast served us, happy shall he be that taketh and dasheth thy little ones against the stones. So just like you were doing this kind of thing to other people and you even did it to the people of God, somebody's going to do it to you too. And that's another thing we need to remember. You know, when our country, you know, if we're going to get involved in wars, we better make sure they're just. Because again, if we're shedding innocent blood, God is going to allow 
those things to come back on us. You know what? We better hope we were in the right dropping nukes on Japan. And, you know, and I don't really think that was the way to go. A lot of innocent people died when that, when that took place. And so, you know, folks, I'm looking at the way God does things in the Bible. I can't imagine us not ever getting nuked. When you see, the, when you consider the fact that we did it and a lot of innocent people died. So all these things are just reminders. I, I'm not, I don't want our country to get nuked. I don't want our country to come under judgment. I don't want any of that. But it's so important that we understand these things so we would never make the mistake of thinking God is doing something wrong when bad things happen in this country. And, and, and if anything, too, you can get from that, the fact that bad things aren't happening right now, be thankful. Thank God for his mercy because we should, we should be uh, getting nuked at this point. So, um, so when, you know, in Psalm 137, when God tells Babylon, you know, when God kind of throw, gives, does this prophecy at Babylon, it's a reminder God sees what these nations are doing. God notices what's going on. And so I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to stand here and pretend I know exactly how God's going to deal with this country. But I do believe that if the Lord tarries his coming, our country is going to be like some of these other countries where we're going to have a crisis too. I think one of the ways we're going to suffer, we're going to have a crisis of no kids being born. Because I know that's happening in some countries right now where they don't know what to do. They don't have anyone to take care of the elderly because there's no young people in, in these countries. Because like in Japan, or uh, was it Japan where they were like aborting all the boys or the girls? For the longest time, too, they're, they're just always aborting kids. They're limiting how many kids the parents can have. And so, what's that? China. China's doing that. And, and, you know, and it's causing a crisis. And, you know, in our country, they haven't forced, uh, the, uh, you know, they haven't forced abortions and things like that. But they have promoted them like crazy. They've promoted birth control like crazy. We've done all these things, doing everything they can to just stop people from having kids. And you know what? One of these days, God's going to look and say, you know what? You guys have been butchering your own kids for so long. You know, how about I just don't give you any kids? I don't, how about I just let a generation, I don't know. I, I'm not God, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not predicting what God's going to do. But you know what? When I hear things like how this, you know what, that they're making everybody take is causing people to be sterile. You know what? Why wouldn't God allow something like that to happen to our country that causes almost a generation to be sterile in this country. To where we are, we're going to have a real crisis on our hands, you know, because just no kids are being born. And, you know, if our country was destroyed from something like that, that would just seem like divine justice to me. So I don't know. I don't, I don't know that's causing all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to find out, uh, you know, personally. But, you know, at the same time, just, we should be surprised. We should all expect bad things to happen in this country. So it says in verse 11, Thou shalt also be drunken, thou shalt be hid, thou also shalt seek strength because of the enemy. All thy strongholds shall be like fig trees with the first ripe figs. If they be shaken, they shall even fall into the mouth of the eater. And this is just showing how they're not going to be able to put up a good fight, which, you know, um, you know if they would have, or if it, you know, they would have thought this would never happen because again, we've got the strong army and he's just basically letting them know you're not even going to put up a fight. 
when this all goes down. Because they're all when they're going to hear prophecy like this, like, no, we're going to be able to take these people. We're at least going to be able to hold them off. We're going to at least be able to do some real damage. And God's just basically saying, no, you are going to melt in front of these people. It says, behold, thy people in the midst of thee are women. The gates of thy land shall be set wide open unto thine enemies. Thy fire shall devour thy bars. Now, this could have a few possible meanings, but Nahum has been explaining how they're not going to be able to stand against their enemies. So it could be pointing out the fact that because the people in the midst are women, they won't stand a chance to win the fight. Or it could be saying that the men are going to be like women and too scared to fight. Now, I know this is politically incorrect, okay? But you know what? The Bible, it just lays out the truth without regard for your feelings, okay? And I don't care, you know, that, you know, you've, you know you're, you're a fan of Katniss Everdeen and on all the movies now, women are always the best fighters. But in real life, that's not how it works. It says in Jeremiah 50, verse 37, a sword is upon their horses and upon their chariots and upon all the mingled people that are in the midst of her, and they shall become as women. A sword is upon her treasures, and they shall be robbed. And this is not saying they're all going to become trannies or anything like that. No, this is just saying they're not going to be able to fight. They're not going to be able to stand against the enemy. You know, the Bible says to quit you like men and be strong. Now, Kamala Harris uses a version where it just leaves that line out. I made a video about that where she was, she started, I, it's funny, I was watching this video where she was at, of Southern, it was a Southern Baptist thing with a bunch of max, masked up preachers behind her. And she read that verse from, I think, 2 Corinthians. And it's, even though it was another version, as soon as she started reading that scripture, I was like, I, I knew what the verse was. Were there, and I knew the quit you like men. So I was like listening. What's she going to do with the quit you like men? And it just wasn't there. It just wasn't there. And so either she read a version that completely left that line out, or she just skipped it. Because she's not going to say quit you like men. You know, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. But no, there's a difference between men and women. And ladies, if you get scared and terrified at the thought of a bunch of crazy men running after you with swords, you know what? There's nothing wrong with you. Okay? There's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. You should be scared. And you know what, guys? You know, we don't have to be excited about that. But at the same time, too, we better be ready to stand and fight back. And you know what? We keep the women behind us. And we, we, we go fight the battles. And I don't believe our country should ever draft women, uh, you know, for things like that. I think that's a terrible thing. That's another subject. But, again, the, the Bible, it does not care about your feelings. It's just truth. And so this uh, talk about uh, them being women, it's just saying you guys are going to be so scared you're going to be screaming like little girls. That's kind of how we would put it today. So verse 14, draw thee waters for the siege, fortify the strong, thy strongholds, go into the clay, tread the mortar, make strong the brickland. There shall the fire devour thee, the sword shall cast thee off, and it shall eat thee up like a canker worm. Make thyself many as the canker worm, make thyself many as the locust. Thou hast multiplied thy merchants above the stars of heaven. The canker worm spoileth and flieth away. Thy crown are as the locusts, and thy captains as the great grasshoppers, which came in the hedges in the cold day. But when the sun arises, they flee away, and their place is not known where they are. And locusts are often used to explain just an overwhelming amount of people. And so while locusts alone aren't strong, they are kind of unstoppable when they come 
as a multitude, and they typically do nothing but damage. And so, uh, and I think too, again, we've seen some references of this. He's always telling them, you know, stand against them, fortify yourself, fight them. You know why? God wants them to fight them because he wants them to die because he knows they will lose. That's why he's wanting them to do it because this, this is an example of a message of judgment with, where so no repentance is given. This is just God letting them know what's come before it comes so everyone will know that he is the Lord. So everyone will know that Nahum is a prophet of God. And so everyone will know that this battle was not some fluke. This was the judgment of God on a wicked nation. And, and God wanted that to be a warning to all other nations, but he also wanted it to be a comfort to Israel because, again, they're going to suffer at the hands of the Babylonians too because they were wicked. But at the same time, God didn't want Israel to think, I've forgotten them, you know, forgotten them. God will know, I'm going to deal with Babylonians too. So you're going to be, I'm going to, and if, you know, the fact that God dealt with the Assyrians should have been proof for them that God was going to deal with the Babylonians, and sure enough, he did. So verse 18, thy shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria, thy nobles that dwell in the dust, thy people is scattered upon the mountains, and no man gathereth them. There is no healing of thy bruise, thy wound is grievous, all that hear the brood of thee shall clap the hands over thee, for upon whom hath not thy wickedness passed continually. So that's the end, and notice it ends bad. It ends, there is no message of comfort. And, you know, we're kind of used to a lot of the doom and gloom prophecies that we read in the Bible are ones that are towards Israel, but typically the ones towards them have like a message of comfort at the end. Like, I'm going to deal with you, but then I'm going to produce something good. So there's, there's almost always some message of hope. This one's not like that. This one's just all negative. This is just all bad with no message of hope and comfort. And so it is that Nahum's different than a lot of other prophecies we read because this is, these people are enemies of God. They were not the people of God. And God isn't required to give everyone a second chance. People and nations can get to the point where there is no turning back and where they no longer serve any purpose other than to show the wrath of God. And that's exactly what Nineveh became. And you know what? Let that be a warning to all nations that want to shed blood and that want to just do violence and wickedness and treat people wrong. And so that is uh, the book of Nahum. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this book. And uh, Lord, if we get anything from this, Lord, just let it be a reminder that you're going to take care of the wicked one of these days. Uh, help us not to uh, get too distracted by the things that are going on in this world that are unjust, but we'll understand you're going to take care of all these things. I pray you'll just help us to try to warn as many people as we can and try to call as many people to repentance uh, in our nation as possible. And uh, Lord, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you that we're not suffering right now. Uh, but Lord, I pray that if, if you do choose to bring judgment on us, Lord, I pray that we'll just keep our eyes on you and you'll protect your people. In your name we pray. Amen.